a warm welcome back to all my listeners. This is the second episode of Domestic Abuse, The Cutting Edge. I am Maz, your podcast host. I'm a domestic abuse survivor and a warrior on a mission to fight the battle to emancipate others who suffer at the hands of their abuser, victims who are living with the devastation of domestic abuse. For this episode, I need to give a trigger warning. Some of the detail will contain descriptions of abuse and violence. If you have been or are affected by domestic abuse or know someone who may be affected and want to reach out for help, please call or email the National Domestic Abuse Helpline 0808-200-267. It's a free phone and it is confidential. Or you can leave a message by completing a form on their website, nationaldahelpline.org.uk. For the purposes of anonymity, I've called my abuser John. I met John through his cousin, whom I befriended at salsa lessons. I was 34 years old at the time and living in London. He was very charming and confident, too confident in hindsight. John was nine years my junior with only a high school education and no prospects of a job, which I was not aware of at the time I became involved with him. I'd already fallen hook, line and sinker for his charms and predatory sexual prowess. I did not care. I felt desired and had an exciting new love life. The deceit about John's life and what he was capable of started unravelling in stages as I was spun deeper and deeper into his web of love bombing, gaslighting, emotional manipulation and sexual control to distract me from clocking massive red flags. Many years later, during my recovery from domestic abuse, I became enlightened about the psychological damages of childhood trauma childhood sexual abuse and living with alcoholism in the family as a child and young adult. I had a total unawareness of my chronic need to fix and rescue others in a desperate bid to receive external validation. Alongside this, I had a perpetual need to attach to emotionally unavailable significant others in order to keep those wounds of my childhood traumas open and weeping because it was all I knew, subconscious pain prompters if you like. What I did next was the first nail in the coffin John had prepared for me and into which I unknowingly had already allowed myself to lay in. About a month into our courtship, John got arrested for absconding police after a minor hit and run. He served eight weeks in Her Majesty's prison and the first person he contacted was me. The dramatic unfolding from here should have given me enough red flags clock tower bells donging in my head to turn around and run the other way but I did not he already had me believing I was his only saviour being the one to rescue him was exactly the external validation I was looking for to prove to him and myself that loving me was worth it that I was worth it this is where I ask you not to make any judgement on me as I know what you're all thinking right now She's a professional career woman. What was she thinking to fall for and stick by this guy after hearing all this from him? I will delve into codependency and its symptoms later on in the podcast. Codependency is a behavioural condition with one of the core characteristics being excessive reliance on other people for approval and sense of identity. I've already delved into the causes of my codependent nature, which ultimately resulted in me becoming a victim of domestic abuse. What I agreed and allowed myself to do next was the pivotal point of no return and it was what doomed me into a dysfunctional, abusive relationship with John. If I just said no and walked away at this point, 
I would not have had a survivor story to narrate today. Or maybe I still would have had a narrative, but maybe with someone else and maybe with a different story. Since John was not the reason I became a victim of domestic abuse, that reason was something within myself that allowed me to enter and stay in a harmful situation for too long. Two things that still astounds me now in my recovered life. One is how his sisters once narrated all the horrific details of John's abuse to previous women in his life, but they narrated it with total detachment and no signs of shame or outrage for their brother's actions. They spoke about it as if it was an acceptable way of conducting a relationship. There is a big reason for this um, and for his sister's attitude toward domestic violence. It's an important fact about children witnessing domestic abuse without ever healing from the effects. I will touch on this in a later episode. This leads to the second thing that mortifies and saddens me, looking back at my own actions. I actually sat there listening to all these ugly truths about John and I still did not see the waving red flags and hear the exasperated alarm bells. The daily abuse and manipulation from John had already conditioned me into believing I was chained to the small stake just like the chained elephant was. And I was conditioned into believing that I, like the elephant, would never be strong enough to free myself or even try to free myself from the chains even though I was. In hindsight and after many years of recovery programs, I realized how utterly lonely and broken I really was, even before I met John. I did not have the necessary knowledge and understanding of my childhood trauma and alcoholism in my family and how that had damaged me. I could not know because I was raised to never show negative emotions or emotions that would cause discomfort to others. So I never learned to identify my own emotions, only the emotions of others and how my responses would affect them. I was taught this through alcoholism and codependency in my family, to always put the needs of others first before my own needs, to be a chameleon and never to rock the boat or call out the fact that there was an enormous elephant in the living room. And this is why I was the perfect next victim for John. John had already served eight weeks of his sentence when his yearing date came about, so they released him on time served. I should have seen that as a red flag. He was no he had well, he had nowhere to live, so he cunningly wormed his way into my head by love bombing me like it was World War II, declaring his undying love for me, telling me while he was incarcerated he had much time to think and realize that I'm the one, and suggested he move in with me to give us a go and he succeeded in convincing me. The first month of living together was amazing. He said all the right things, made all the romantic moves any man could make in a month. He told me he had found a morning graveyard shift job to get back on his feet and in the meantime I was paying rent, food, drinks, everything. It was around this point in our relationship when the tide turned and real warning signs of his violent nature and infidelity started showing itself. I brushed off all the small but significant telltale signs at the time. If I was to do it all again, this would be the absolute point at which I would walk away instead of staying. It started with him insisting on going out in the week, clubbing, pubbing, etc., of course, he knew I could not go out till the early hours of the morning with the nature of my job. 
And like any normal relationship, I started complaining about his constant nights out, you know, disrupting me when he got home from, from wherever he was for the night, um, waking me up, disturbing me. And I just wanted to have a conversation about it. He marched over to me and slapped my face with such force. His hand left a swollen red burning imprint on my face. I was so shocked and literally stunned. I called a family member, my cousin in Australia, but I did not act on my instincts or their advice. So why, you ask? Why did you stay? I don't think anyone should be asking a victim of domestic abuse this question because it implies blame to the victim for allowing themselves to be abused. The question that should be asked is how can any human being inflict such unspeakable harm onto another human being in a relationship where love and trust was given? But let's forgive you for asking me why did I stay and I will help you understand the why throughout this podcast. There were two things John was testing and realised that day that I had very loose boundaries with regards to being hit or slapped and that abusing me would be easier than he thought. Second was that John realised at this point he had let his true nature expose itself too soon. He needed to do damage control. He realised I had too many friends and family to pull me out of his grip. He had to think fast and draw me back in. The love bombing, which is over-exaggerated, over-the-top displays of affection that followed was epic. He knew how to strum my vulnerability and so I stayed. To understand John, it's important to understand the mental thoughts and beliefs that occur with a narcissist. A narcissistic personality disorder come with symptoms of grandiosity, no empathy for others and an obsessive need for admiration. The gaslighting behaviours they exhibit are manipulation and self-centred attitudes. They are arrogant and they believe they should have better treatment than anyone else even though they don't give others the same rights. The narcissistic characteristics happen early in their adult life. They will gaslight in the workplace, in relationships and in their social groups. They think they're unique and gifted which gives them a greater sense of self-esteem. In actuality, their self-esteem is fragile. They need others to think highly of them. They can't handle criticism or losing and are easily and deeply humiliated. The thing was that John, like any narcissistic abuser, has chronic inferiority complex, which was part of the reason why John used violence to control the women he spun into his web with his superficial but effective outer charm. His mask to the outside world and to those potential female victims was masterful. He fed and nursed his inferiority complex by carefully picking women who were very vulnerable deep inside but successful and superior on the surface. He is attracted to the energy women like this radiate. He wants that energy for himself to boost himself up since he cannot do it on his own steam. He knows exactly how to drain that energy through tapping into their vulnerabilities till they shrivel into nothingness and he stands tall and pulses with stolen power. John wanted the Rolex and the BMW without any personal input and perseverance. He felt so small on the inside that he had to make himself appear large on the outside. So he bought the most expensive branded clothing and shoes to achieve this. And behind closed doors, he used his fists. The penny about the nature of John would not drop for me, not for many years to come. 
John was my addiction, my heroine. He fed my addiction and my need to keep reliving the imprints of my childhood trauma, imprints of fear, abandonment, rejection, and the notion of needing to conform to receive love. I was doomed. Unless I could find the strength to pull the line of John out of my veins, things were not going to end well for me. And it almost did not. Before I go, I just need to make some housekeeping announcements. Please check out the podcast page on Instagram and Facebook, Domestic Abuse The Cutting Edge. And on Twitter, the handle is at Abuse Edge, where you can leave comments, feedback and questions. You can also find all the episodes and transcripts of this podcast at https colon double forward slash domesticabusethecuttingedge.buzzsprout.com. I also have show notes which sign posts the National Domestic Abuse Helpline. That number is 0808-200-267. It's a free phone and it's confidential. Or you can leave a message by completing a form on their website, nationaldahelpline.org.uk. Please, if you are able to donate to my listener support, please go to the website uh, of the podcast, www.domesticabusethecuttingedge.com and click on the listener support link to donate. All donations will go towards setting up a cluster of support groups for survivors of domestic abuse, where victims who have recently left their abusive relationship will find life-saving support and understanding from experienced survivors who have been there and lived through it. I am preparing the manifesto and key principles of the support group. The group will not be a referral or a signposting service, nor an advice service, just simply sitting down and supporting and listening to each other, a safe space to grow and develop personal journeys to becoming totally free of abuse in their lives. Finally, the next episode will tackle why victims stay, why we become the chained elephant, and more of my survivor story. Stay safe. Do not wait to reach out for help. Your life matters. Much love and light. This is Domestic Abuse, The Cutting Edge. I am Maz, your host, signing out. Until next time. <laughs>